Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Zane Schwartz, reporter with The Logic, chair of the Canadian Association of Journalists. Welcome. Great to be here. Zane, we are going to talk about the trans woman from British Columbia who has become a global extreme right-wing media superstar just this week. Alex Jones asked her out on a date. And we will discuss new developments in the coming newspaper bailout, which I'm going to call the Zane Schwartz newspaper bailout. It's legal name. Glad to have you with us. Great to be here. This episode, Zane, of Shortcuts is brought to you by... Brett Gundlock, Jordan Kelly, Mark Hamilton, Katie Six, Miles Potter, Alan Williams, Travis Brown, and Alex. Hi, I'm Alex, a public servant in Ottawa. As a communicator, having a deeper understanding of issues that affect Canadians helps me do my job better. And I feel that the Canada Land family of podcasts gives me that perspective. And as I mentioned, this episode is brought to everybody by Endy. They are changing the way Canadians sleep, and their mission is simple, to provide Canadians from coast to coast with the best possible sleep. Zane, I took a vacation last week. It was a lovely, a lovely time away, but I was at like a rental Airbnb uh, mattress, and I absolutely felt the difference between that hard and unyielding and, and kind of back-breaking, no, stressing mattress uh, and, and my Indy mattress, which I was very happy to get home to. I'm feeling well-rested and a lot better now. Do you have anything to say about what I just told you? I do. Um, I promise this is not an ad, but at Urban Barn now, Andy has their mattresses out, so you can go and lie down on them. They're very comfortable. You are helping me do an ad. You do realize that right now. Which is uh, everything they said they'd fought against. 
but uh, I bounced on it. I don't know if I was supposed to, but that was fun. Andy offers a 100-night trial with free returns. If you don't absolutely love it, they come pick it up from you, and they give you a full refund, no questions asked. They give the mattress to somebody who needs it. Visit Andy.ca and use the promo code CanadaLand. You'll get 50 bucks off of any Andy mattress. So Zane, there, there's this, um, there's this trans person, this imaginary hypothetical trans person, whom transphobic reactionaries have been imagining for years in arguments. This is a uh, kind of a, a trans boogeyman who's used, invoked in hypothetical situations to win arguments. This imaginary person is not really, you know, transgender. They're a transvestite, a straight man who dresses like a woman and who likes young girls. A pervert, a predator who gets off on trespassing into women's bathrooms. The way you will usually hear about this extreme imaginary trans person is in a hypothetical scenario that usually goes like this. All right, all right. So if anybody can just choose their gender and the world has to respect that, then what's to stop a guy like me from just calling myself a woman and waltzing into a girl's locker room? It's the basis for all the anti-trans bathroom bills in the States. It's the basis for a lot of discriminatory legislation around the world. Uh, there's been no evidence to suggest it exists. No. I mean, it, and it bears really no relationship to uh, the lives and the plight of transgendered people who just want dignity and, and rights the same as anybody else. So this person has really just revealed more about the secret desires of the guys who imagine this person than anything in the world that we actually live in. It's a convenient fiction so they don't have to address what the real objection is, right? It's something that isn't real yeah. um, until very recently. Uh, lo and behold, this imaginary trans boogeyman now seems to exist at least to the extreme conservative media around the world who have been putting this person on their airwaves and writing copiously about this person. This person lives in British Columbia. Her name is Jessica Yaniv. Have you been reading about Jessica Yaniv? I know more about this now than I would ever have wanted to. You made me read up on this, Jesse. I'm sorry, because it is, it's a silly and absurd and, and gross and kind of unpleasant story. But it's its its big. It's all around all of a sudden. And I don't even know where to begin. I mean, there are like four Jessica Yaniv controversies right now. I mean, I guess it makes sense to start with the one that like has already been mentioned on the show last week when Nora and Sandy guest hosted. They talked about Lindsay Shepard getting kicked off of Twitter and they mentioned that it was for transphobic comments, which they did not repeat. Those transphobic comments were aimed at Jessica Yaniv. Lindsay Shepard, you know, misgendered Jessica Yaniv and, and called her a fat, ugly man and was kicked off of Twitter, which I have no problem with. But it is relevant that Jessica Yaniv, through vulgar, disgusting, misogynistic comments at Lindsay Shepard, like very specifically misogynistic comments mentioning, you know, Lindsay Shepard's genitalia and uh, picking up on on like a, a medical issue that Lindsay Shepard had in her in her pregnancy. And you could just as easily kick Jessica Yaniv off of Twitter for misogyny, for abuse, as you did Lindsay Shepard for transphobia. And that is the point of outrage. That double standard is certainly enraging people in the right, in the media, but that is not the Jessica Yaniv controversy that has led to this massive media attention. <sighs> Shall I tell everyone the other Jessica Yaniv controversy? Please. I mean, which one? Uh, I guess it's the big I mean, There are a bunch, but the big one is that Jessica Yaniv, who has been 
written about as an activist. And I think it's interesting that activist is this category. Most, you know, it's usually pejorative. It's, uh, you know, but like, what are your qualifications to call yourself an activist? Is that fact checked? Are any groups that are involved in transgendered activism associated with Jessica Yaniv? We don't really read about that. What we read about is this sort of campaign, this stunt, I guess, that Jessica Yaniv pulled, where Jessica Yaniv approached like over a dozen. 16, yeah. Yeah, different women who do like Brazilian waxes. Some of whom are like doing it like as a side hustle out of their homes where their kids live. Some of whom are members of like religious communities that have all kinds of prohibitions on, you know, contact with men. Not that Jessica Yaniv is a man, but she has male genitalia. And Jessica Yaniv explicitly approached these people and said, I want you to wax my genitalia. And I try to keep an open mind about things. And I think that the idea here, if we are going to consider this activism, is in the tradition of like when desegregation happened, there are black people who intentionally went to racist white restaurants, lunch counters, and said, serve me. And that was, a, I think, a very valid form of activism. Or there more recently were gay couples who went to bakers who were known to be homophobic bakeries and say, make us a cake. And the idea is you do not have the right to deny me service. And here's Jessica Yaniv ostensibly taking that idea to its logical extreme and saying, I'm a woman because I say I am, and you're gonna you're gonna wax my genitalia even though it is it is male genitalia, and that is what is outraging the extreme right media. It's less interesting to me to interrogate the actions of Jessica Yaniv for the reasons that you're getting at. Right? It's unclear that she speaks for anyone else. It's unclear that she's part of any other activist group. There's been a lot of reporting in the sort of Canadian right wing media. Lindsay Shepard had her own article about Jessica Yaniv in the post-millennial yesterday, sort of looking at sort of uh, allegedly other really weird things that Yaniv's involved in. For me, this is fascinating because of what it says about the right and what it says about the dynamics between, like, Shepard gets banned, and yeah. now Shepard is, like, under her own byline going after Yaniv. Yaniv isn't, and you know, and I could be missing something, but... I don't think she's the head of any kind of group. I don't think that she's involved with any sort of larger project. But because she sort of fits into this stereotype that you were talking about at the beginning, she's held up as this example of everything that's wrong with trans activism when she's A, not, as far as we can tell, sort of speaking on behalf of anybody else, and B, it's sort of used to further this boogeyman where the aestheticians didn't serve her, yeah. They weren't forced to serve her. Um, this is someone who is not powerful, but is sort of being held up as this powerful person to further this straw man argument. I, I, I agree. I, I do want to talk about Jessica Yaniv specifically because I, I have an opinion about what's actually happening here. But I do think that, that this is much more interesting. This is one individual on some kind of campaign in good faith or not. Let's look at that in a bit. But I think that what one person does is, is perhaps of less interest and consequence than what the entire, like we start with the Lindsay Shepard story getting reported and, and, and it moves sort of the post-millennial, I think might've been the first to out the name Jessica Yaniv. Uh, I think so. Yeah. I think so. And then we see, you know, John Kay's tweeting about it. Rex Murphy's writing about it. Barbara Kay wrote a column. Barbara Kay in the post-millennial, a yeah. very weird and strange one that tells you a lot about the, the kind of strange imagination of Barbara Kay. And then the Christian News uh, Network picks it up, like Christian Broadcasting Network and LifeSite News. Then it's on to the Daily Caller, like American right-wing sites, the National Review, a conservative magazine. And then it's like tweeted by Jordan Peterson, tweeted by Paul Joseph Watson, hitting millions of people, tweeted by Ricky Gervais. And then the big time, a half hour 
between Jessica Yaniv and Alex Jones on InfoWars. Chris Cuomo said a few years ago, 12-year-old girls should be ready to have a transgender man as a woman in the shower, and if they see his genitals, they shouldn't get upset. I, I don't think that's reasonable. I do, um, actually, because, you know, people want to start segregating um, se uh, segregating sex. And from, from what I've seen well, in I mean, the I don't hearings, think the average uh, women particularly want to be around a bunch of, about a, 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 around a bunch of schlongs. So that's about the level of discourse that could be heard uh, between this meeting of minds, uh, Alex Jones interviewing Jessica Yaniv for like a fucking half hour, during which I, I sat through this and they only briefly touched on the actual Jessica Yaniv story. Like Alex Jones was essentially using Jessica Yaniv to represent every qualm and quibble he has with transgendered civil rights going too far. And Jessica Yaniv is there as the, like, you are the spokesperson for trans people and was a pretty lousy spokesperson because, like, went from kind of embodying, like, yeah, I think that's totally fine. No problem with this extreme hypothetical scenario to then when Alex Jones brings up, well, you've got these, uh, you know, men competing as women in, in professional athletics and they're winning every award. Is that fair? And Jessica Yaniv goes, no, I agree with you. That's not fair. So I, 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 I think, like we should have somebody who actually does represent that community uh, or parts of it to talk about this at some point. But I, I do not imagine that Jessica Yaniv is anybody's spokesperson. She's no one's spokesperson, man. These aren't good faith arguments, right? I mean, you're talking yeah. about Alex Jones, but even, even someone like Barbara Kay or Rex Murphy have had concerns about certain aspects of trans rights and have been writing columns about this for years. Like, but if we're talking about power, if we're talking about what's likely to shape Canadian society, there's no indication that this case is going to change the law. There's no indication that Jessica Yaniv has some massive platform that she is speaking on behalf of. There is an indication that it's a really useful straw man for people like Peterson or Shepard to focus on. There's lots of trans people in Canada and around the world who have really sophisticated answers to these questions. You bring up that it's bad faith on the part of the right-wing commentators who are like looking for their straw man in the flesh, my opinion is that there's a bad faith on Jessica and Eve's part. And if you if you actually like dig into this stupid story of approaching these women who do the waxing, when Jessica and Eve approached them, uh, allegedly she used a photograph of herself before she transitioned, yeah, and used her her uh, a male name. So essentially sent uh, a male picture and a male name and said, "Will you wax me?" And then of course the person said, "Well, I, I, I wax women, not men." And they said, well, I am a woman and I'm taking you to this tribunal. So they didn't approach the women in good faith. And then there were financial settlements, right, in some cases of these 16 different uh, waxers, right? So if the point was legitimate activism, like I'm going to make an example out of you, you're going to serve me because I'm a woman because that's what the law says, you would want that to go forward to the Human Rights Tribunal to prove your point. You wouldn't want like a few thousand bucks out of it. So I think it's worth emphasizing that what you're highlighting has been reported in the post-millennial, which, which may be true. But the National Post didn't touch it. The National Review didn't those, touch those it. Those details. Those details. So, uh, yeah. but, but but let's say they're 100%. No, thanks very much. I've had the, the darndest time because there's a photograph Jessica Yaniv took yeah. in a women's washroom of herself with young women saying, look where I am, embodying that boogeyman. And then there are tweets that Jessica Yaniv says, no, I didn't send that. And other people are saying you did. So it's very hard in this case to right. discern. So the allegations on both sides of things being made up. But but let, let's, let's say it's all true. What I keep coming back to is... The Canadian media does a really bad job of covering trans issues, right? And I say this as one one uh, white cis male to another. But when trans issues do break through the morass, it's stuff like this, yeah. right? StatsCan came out with a study on violence against LGBTQ Canadians. 
and they didn't have a category for trans people. Yeah. So there are basic things around housing access, around uh, suicide rates, around mental health, access to certain drugs from OHIP, access to surgery that are actually being discussed by mm -hmm. activists who, like, I don't know what the definition of an activist is, but we have people who are the heads of organizations or like lead protests have one other person who thinks they're in charge of something. And you need just none of these things. So let's say everything that she's- I mean, you're not going to see that on Infowars. Right, but also- or, or, or in the National Post, certainly not in the Post Millennial. Or or the Globe or the Star. Like, I'm, I'm not saying it never happens. I'm just saying that this type of thing gets more coverage than an issue that is like actually affecting more people that legitimate spokespeople actually have concerns about. I think it goes beyond why are you covering this when you should be covering that. It's almost like it's a media hoax. Like, if you essentially have this category for this hypothetical character who's, who's, who's taking this to the extreme and saying, what's to stop me from calling myself a woman and going to the locker room? What you've done is essentially, it's a casting call. There is like a, a, a role ready for that person to inhabit. There is a seat waiting for them on forums that millions of people watch. It's almost an inevitability that someone's going to say, okay, I want the attention. I'll be your feared person. It makes everything real in the flesh. So this whole thing... I don't think that this is real. This is not a real controversy. The waxing story is not a real controversy in any way more than Lindsay Shepard's thing was a real controversy about freedom of speech on campus in any way more than Jordan Peterson's thing was a real controversy about what words you can use on campus. Like, like all of this is bullshit. I mean, this is a real person. Just getting is a real person. Maybe there's some somewhere in the cocktail of motivations. Maybe there is some desire to do right for, you know, civil rights. Of, you know, But I don't think any of this is where the debate exists in reality. It's all media simulacrum. It's all fantasy. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free 
with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Zane Schwartz, I know that uh, all of you in the Canadian Association of Journalism headquarters, Clubhouse, uh, as well as the uh, offices of The Logic, listen to Shortcuts every week with bated breath and trade notes. and Four or five times. Therefore, you know that we have a section on the show called Duly Noted. Absolutely. What have you to Duly Note? Police in Saskatoon are cutting off journalists' access to their scanners, which is a, uh-huh. a pretty important press freedom issue because it allows you to hear things like, I don't know maybe police shooting someone or there being some kind of crime. And the whole so nightcrawler beat. I did it for a while at the Calgary Herald. You hear all kinds of crazy things. A lot of the time, it's just important public safety stuff. Like, you can let people know about a crime that's happening, but it's also a police accountability mechanism. If you cut off journalists' ability to listen into a police scanner, they can't get to the scene right after there's a shooting. They can't get to the scene right after there's a problem that occurred. I remember we had a story on this years ago when they moved to digital that, that journalists were losing access. Maybe that was in specific areas. I don't remember all the details right now. But this seems like that that is a dying method of journalism. Totally. I mean, in, a lot of police forces around the country have cut them off. But in Saskatoon, they still had them, and they still have them in some cities. And it's, um, it's just a really important journalistic accountability tool. Police are a powerful group in society. You should be able to ask them questions. And especially with fewer and fewer journalists, it's not like, I don't know, you're going to have reporters wandering around the streets at night seeing if there's a crime. Like, you, you need some ability to monitor this group. Um, and it's, you know, a decision that maybe they'll reverse, but it's, uh, you know, something they've gone ahead and announced, you know, journalists in Saskatoon will no longer have access, period. Duly noted. I have one. Um, I will acknowledge that Simon Hupt had a pretty good little scoop in the Globe and Mail. Why, why is that framed like that? Is that because of that article Simon did on you all those years ago? Oh, of course it is. Of course it is. But it's such nice things to say about Canada land. Anyhow, we've been hearing for a long time that The Fifth Estate, CBC's investigative uh, TV show, is just an absolute shit show um, of internal political strife and uh, the ratings are tanking and there's all kinds of uh, inter-office intrigue. And um, it's a shame because there's some fine journalists and they've done some fine investigations. What Simon found was, first of all, like he got his hands on this internal document <laughs> that talked about how they're going to reverse this ratings downturn. And uh, the CBC internal document says that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a Sunday night show, so we're, we're competing with HBO. So we need all caps, high quality, dramatic twists and turns on the fifth estate. And there was a plan. Step one, we find engaged viewers through social media who are already deep in conversation. Step two, instead of joining it with one story, we promise a cluster of stories from different angles that expand the conversation. Okay. Step three, investigative directs the conversation, creating news and social buzz. So this is the explicit plan of the fifth estate to create news and social buzz. Flame wars in the comments? I, I don't know what any of that means. It's yeah. a lot of these types of internal media company like strategy documents and whatever. But the actual editorial product that this resulted in was a proposed series revisiting the Bernardo Hamulka murders and rapes. It sounds really sleazy. They have no new information, right? It's not like they've uncovered something, some fact the police missed. Nothing. It's, yeah, it's, okay. it's they're, they're hopping. Like CBC is really increasingly just hopping on existing trends. And this one is, okay, OJ Simpson, you know, like people are going back to old crimes and doing big documentary, docuseries treatments on it. So that's how we're going to engage viewers. So Simon not only got his hands on these documents, but he got a quote from Gillian Findlay, one of the hosts of The Fifth Estate. 
she says, I'll confirm that there was a staff meeting and I'll confirm that there was a discussion about a proposed Bernardo series and that I was opposed to it. And that sounds like mild. I was opposed to it. That happens in story meetings all the time. But you and I both know that for a CBC journalist to give a media quote, they get fired for that. Jillian Finley could lose her job. There's nothing in here to suggest that she had the okay from Chuck Thompson, CBC Communications. There's, there's no way he would have let her say that. I feel like Jillian Finley is sticking her neck out to say this is not the show that I want to be associated with, that I was opposed to this Paul Bernardo Homolka shit. So, man, that comes in a wider context of what's happening at the CBC right now, which is like Family Feud Canada. Like, it feels like they're moving backwards into linear TV broadcasting. It was only a few years ago that they were actually floating a plan for ad-free CBC, now, under the, the new uh, management, they say that they need to be free from the whims of government and they need to like double, triple down on commercials and, and commercial revenue, which is so counterintuitive at a time when their commercial revenue is like off a cliff, like, you know, TV ads, it's a dying business. And these are their ideas for commercial revenue, right? And these are their ideas. It's, it's like they're not leaders. They're like kind of pathetically following the trends and throwing out a lot of journalistic credibility in the pursuit. Of yeah. that stuff. It's sad. Fifth Estate has the resources to do real investigations. This is a fucking golden age for investigative journalism. Just modernize the brand, make a fucking podcast to go along with it, which is how a lot of people are getting their investigative reporting these days. Bring the resources of a big TV investigative unit into it. Do written content. I mean, come on. Like, Jesus Christ. It's, it's not do a, a story that's actually a story, not an explainer of something from decades ago. There's a lot of stuff that needs investigation in Canada. You don't have to go into the archives. Duly noted. All right, Zane Schwartz, chair of the Canadian Association of Journalists. We're going to talk about the media bailout, the newspaper bailout. Everyone loves it. There's no controversy. Next topic. What I, What is the nature of your disclosure in this? Like the CAJ is involved. You, you've got Esther Enkin, the former ombudsman. They still call it ombudsman, even when it's a woman doing Anyway, of the CBC, Esther Enkin is your representative on the panel, what is the panel just done? What's the panel? So the Canadian Association of Journalists was one of a handful of groups selected by the government to write the rules for the news bailout. To write so the rules. So this okay. panel was writing the rules. So what they just did is sent a list of recommendations of who they think should get money, uh, what the process they think they should look like to qualify. We're waiting on Pablo Rodriguez, Minister of Heritage, to say, yes, I like the rules or I'm going to change them. Early indications are that he's going to greenlight the rules. So what this panel has put together looks like it'll be the terms and conditions for this $600 million news bailout from the government. $600 million ongoing. That's the, the figure for the first five years. And uh, the rules that you write, along with the other members of the panel, are going to dictate who gets this money. Not just who gets this money, but who the government determines to be a legitimate journalist independently through an arm's length, blah, blah, blah. So essentially that is the government is not there to pick winners and losers, and they're not there to say who's a journalist and who isn't a journalist. So they got you and then this panel together. Uh, you're the experts. The panel includes four newspaper industry associations and lobby groups, two newspaper employee unions, and two associations of journalists, yours and a French one. So that's who's on this panel. And as I've been saying for months and months and months, this is not a media bailout. This is a newspaper bailout, and it's not a subsidy, and it's not a journalism stimulus package. It's to save these 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 uh, dying newspaper companies, which is exactly what the last heritage minister said. It's not there for. It's not there to prop up these dying businesses. So my opinion has been that yeah, that's exactly what it is. And why are we talking about this again? We're talking about this again because the panel came up with these rec recommendations, and before the panel did, 
Blacklock's reporter had a story saying, okay, it's coming out and we have a sneak peek. Startups are out. Guess who can't get the money? Startups. And within hours of that headline, I received word from two people involved in the process saying, that is not my understanding. I'm intimately involved in this process and that is not my understanding. We've been fighting hard to make sure that startups have a crack at this new subsidy. And then the rules came out. Zane. What's up? Startups are not getting the money. Right? Most startups will qualify. So uh, Canada Land won't qualify, which is maybe where we're going with this. No, we're not. Okay. Canada Land was never going to ask for the money. Totally fair. No, and you've been clear on that. So going into the panel, there were two key things that the CAJ was really frustrated by. One was everyone was being asked to sign a confidentiality agreement so that we'd never be able to talk about this. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. So we had a we played a little bit of chicken last minute with the minister, and in the end, we sort of said, we're not going to play ball if you make us sign this, and uh-huh. they didn't, and so that was really positive. There's also like some basic transparency things they've done. They put up the minutes for the panel, stuff like that. But the other big thing was expanding the eligibility requirements. So the way that the law was written- Because they'd already said a few things in the actual law. 100%. And so within that law, it was pretty narrow. Yeah. It really did look like it was only going to be large legacy publishers, like really just- Torstar, Globe, uh, Black Press, Post Media. And so what the panel did is they expanded the definition so that there's nine different types of journalism that can qualify. It used to just be coverage of democratic institutions. Yeah. Now it's more things, right? You're a sports pub, you're an arts pub, you may be able to qualify. It's still limited in terms of written content. So if you're a broadcaster, no dice. If you're uh, video or radio, no dice. But if it's uh, written content, it is expanded to more startups. All right. I'm enjoying this thoroughly already. And I, I actually, I need to be fair to you here. My understanding of why the Canadian Association of Journalists got involved in this is like, this isn't great, but we're going to try to influence it as much as we can in the right way. That's how it was put to me by people in your organization was that we're going to try to put lipstick on a pig here. And I know that like a lot of the rules had already been set by government and, and what the panel was recommending had to be within this framework that was already steering this very heavily towards newspapers. So I can't hold you entirely responsible for what this panel has said. However, what's interesting to me is that when you when you take that on, like we're going to be the voice in the room trying to steer this the right way. At some point, you kind of own it. And now you're here and you have to kind of rep it in a, in a way. Right. And you're saying, no, I don't like I can I can tell you the stuff that's trash about it. Like one of the biggest things we fought for was we wanted any organization that applied for funding to be listed. They won't do that. I know. still want them to do that. And that means transparency will cover uh, if we give you money, then we'll say this news organization is getting money. But But we won't say how much money we're giving. And we certainly won't say uh, why we're rejecting you. There's no clear appeals process. There's a lot of elements of this, which set up the perception, regardless of the reality of partisan influence, right? There's nothing stopping your rebels of the world or whatever, your Toronto stars of the world saying, we were denied money and there's no obligation on behalf of the government to say why, uh-huh. right? Uh, even, if, even if it's you were denied money because you missed the deadline, they've created no mechanism. And so we have all of these people, these media organizations who have massive megaphones who will be able to say, why not me? And 
it'll undermine the credibility of the entire process. That, I mean, in an ongoing way. Like, that yeah. is a, a, a arrow in the quiver of any news organization. Like, the whole thing's cooked. It's all cooked. Uh, we couldn't get the money, but look who did, right? We're going to live with that in the Canadian discourse for years. But that's the least of it. And the reason why I say you're repping this is because you're telling me that startups, most startups will qualify. All right, man, you have to have been functioning for a year before you can even qualify by definition you're not a starter you cannot start up with this money right like if we're actually trying to get news coverage in news desert communities let's think this through you know this better than me how many laid off journalists do we have in this country is it twenty thousand now i mean depends when you start counting but it's a massive number yeah all right so you got all these mid-career journalists what is your best hope for getting coverage if that's what this is actually about to get coverage is like i want that 45 year old beat reporter to launch a little micro news agency. But they're saying, I'm at the crossroads here. On the one hand, I'm the person with the skills to do this for my community, and my community doesn't have this anymore because this news coverage is either non-existent or shittier than ever. But I'm unemployed, and you want me to risk hundreds of thousands of dollars of my own money to open up a shop like Tim Bousquet did in Halifax or Joey Coleman did in Hamilton? Like, that's a real risk. All of my concerns about government influence and money and, and funding might be allayed if you actually had a plan where those types of journalists were given some kind of stimulus package that was like, okay, we're going to help you like mitigate that risk and get this off the ground. They are explicitly excluded. They cannot get any money until they've been doing it for, here's, the here's what I understand. You tell me if I got anything wrong. You got to be in operation for a year. You got to have two employees, right? Not freelancers. And it can't be you. You can't be one of the employees if it's your business. And and let's actually think about how people start businesses. You take on partners because you can't. You don't have money, so you give equity, right? So you got to be in business for a year. You got to have two employees. You can't be a podcast. You can't be a YouTube journalist. So if we're actually like looking at the media industry, it's like where is their growth? Where are people like getting their news in new ways? Those some of those ways are, are explicitly ruled out here. So, so most startups do not qualify for this. And this you're only looking at the startups fight that exist. Was lost maybe two years ago, right? Yeah. So the government uh, has been very explicit from the beginning. I mean, and I've spoken a lot about how this is really problematic. The organization I work for, the logic, it's very unclear if we'll qualify under these rules. I think we might. I don't disagree with you. The government threw the baby out with the bathwater two years ago. When they announced this, they made it very clear it was about supporting existing journalism jobs, not creating new ones. So there's a separate program, which is a $50 million program to help deal with local news deserts, right? And that's money that was given to News Media Canada, the newspaper's lobby group. A one-time $50 million, a tenth of the size, one-time shot. Exactly. Uh -huh. So uh, we're still waiting to hear from them what they're going to do with that money. But... Well, it's the, actually very contradictory because when Melanie Jolie said this money, the, the big package is yep. not to prop up dying business models. Well, let me, let me tell you... Uh, how much it is propping up dying business models. So one of the things that the panel changed, which is really odd, is there used to be a cap on how much of a salary the government would cover. So the legislation said they'd cover 25% of salary. Yeah. Now they're going to go to 35% of salary. The legislation said they'd only cover the first $55,000 of someone's salary. Now they're going to cover 85000 So to put those numbers in sort of more concrete terms... On PostMedia's most recent earnings call, they said the newspaper bailout would give them 8 to $10 million a year. Yeah. We're looking at 20 to 25 if the government allows it to cover more of someone's salary. So based on your panel's recommendations, PostMedia is now going to get two and a half times as much of this money. So basically, the more journalists you employ, the more money you get. So what it'll do is it will give further funds to anyone who currently employs journalists 
And, and this is one of the other things that we fought for and did not get, th there are things that I'm proud of, right? The, the expanded definition really does mean that, you know, your narwhals, your discourses, your sprawls are eligible. Maybe. But there are I, things I that... I stuff in here that exclude them. I can show you things in the minutes which say they're included. Um, but Wait, I think that... you specifically choosing which, which sites get the money? If you look in the minutes, there's things like... There's, there's conversations between the panel members around would publication X qualify under criteria Y? Wow. So it's not up to this panel to decide. They're giving it to the Canada Revenue Agency to decide. Putting that aside for a second. Um, if you take all of the existing startups... Yeah. Uh... They employ, I don't know, uh, let's call it 20% of what the Globe and Mail employs. Like, you're There's getting- There's no way that they have 20% of the other employees Globe and Mail. Right? So the vast, vast majority of money goes to these existing players, and it comes with no strings attached. There's this little clause in there that says, don't use it for excessive pay for executives. Yeah, you got the Paul Godfrey clause, which you weren't, was not part of your mandate to say stuff like that, but you were like, don't give this to Paul Godfrey, but there's actually nothing in there to stop. There's, there's nothing there's, in there to stop you. From, uh, st nothing in you to stop you from doing it. Nothing in you to stop you from taking the money on December 31st and laying people off on January 1st. Which the Globe Mail is already laying off people, even though they're going to be one of the big beneficiaries of this. They're still laying off people. So it's already failed to do what it's supposed to do. The only thing I like about this is that it's going to, is, is that, it's like, you know that Simpsons episode where it's like the No Homer Club? And they're like, yeah, but Homer Smith is here. And they're like, well, the no Homer Simpson club. Like, this is the, you know, the nobody but us newspapers club. And then you have to find out these rules for what qualifies as newspaper. So what I'm getting at here is even by the rules laid out for like that are very explicitly written to keep post media paid and everybody else not paid. There are things like you got to have 50 percent original news content. No, 60. Wires. Yeah. 60 percent. Yeah. Okay. If you were to take a bunch of post-media papers today from across the country and add up the wire copy and, and shit like that, do you have 60% original news content in each one of those newspapers? I think there's a very good chance that a lot of those papers, which are just repurposing stuff from the post-media network from different wire, like they would fail their own criteria. There's something in there against hate content, which I think is the Ezra Levant clause. But in excluding hate content, well, what about Sue Ann Levy at The Sun? So then we're going to get into people are going to have to be able to say like, hey, why are my tax dollars paying for Sue Ann Levy to spew hate in the sun? I want them kicked out of the subsidy. And that's why transparency is so important, right? Which like, is, which and, is lacking, and, which and, it doesn't exist. So there's, well, the, there's, the there's no meaningful transparency, right? right. So, so we got the confidentiality clauses waived. We got minutes posted. Uh -huh. uh, the things that we didn't get, the things that will make this effectively a behind closed doors process, as it has been for two years are that you don't have to say who applied and you don't have to say why you didn't give them money. So well, I mean, just, just, about just the appeals process or getting people kicked out? So the appeals process is a mess. I mean, and we tried to change this last minute, but didn't go anywhere. So there is an appeals pro. So it goes to the Canada Revenue Agency and the Canada Revenue Agency is supposed to say yes or no. If the Canada Revenue Agency isn't sure, it's supposed to go to a second panel. However, if the Canada Revenue Agency says no, there's no appeals process. So that's a horrible system. <laughs> There's no transparency as to why you're not being given money, yeah. and you have no way of appealing for it. All of this is nonsense. Like, who, who's even policing this stuff? So we can't, uh, uh, because we are, if you have 60% written content, so we're mostly podcasts, so even if we wanted to, which we don't, we wouldn't get it. However, a news organization that has that written content could get the money for their podcasters. Yeah. Because right? there's a broad so, definition of journalists. Right. So if so you have an I'll audio producer, 100%. My team of podcasters unsubsidized, even if I wanted the money, couldn't get it, will be competing against competitors who have podcasters who are having 
their salary subsidized. CBC gets a billion dollars. You're doing you're doing just fine, Jess. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, right. but I but but I agree with I you. I mean, this is it, 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 on on the, on the level of just basic fairness, it fails completely. So you know you've pushed it in the right direction a couple of degrees, but I have to ask you, given how they failed to meet your standards in so many different ways, they what, fundamentally changed when we forced them to, and we're the only group that successfully got them to put any kind of transparency in this process, and that's something that I'm very proud of, and it's something that will mean that more startups get money. It will mean that more young workers working on contract who don't have full time protection will get more money. If you want to criticize someone for the process, you should get Rodriguez on or you should get Crawley on. We have been very clear from the beginning about what we wanted. We got some of the transparency stuff. We're still pushing for more. We're the only ones doing that. Is there a point at which you'll walk away and say this this thing, uh, we, we can't yeah. force this in any way? We almost walked away when they insisted on confidentiality agreements and they blinked. Yeah. And uh, we will walk away if there are other things that are non-negotiable, but... We're at, we're at the point now where the real thing they're trying to do is get the money out before the election. Yeah. Because there's levels of- This is, this is a levels of, job, right? Like this is all getting pushed There's levels the of, of power involved where they would like the money to start flowing or agreements to be signed at the very least in case there is a different government who said, takes one look at this and says, it's a sloppy rush job. We don't want anything to do with it. You know, I should have ended this segment a long time ago, but you just said something so interesting. At this point, it does seem possible that this could get botched and they would fail to actually get this going before the writ drops. And that could be the end of this whole thing. If I, Andrew Scheer wins, why would he keep it going? Sure. Like, Those two things happen and the, and the bailout is killed. 100%. I wonder, I mean, you can't speak, you can't reverse the position of the Canadian Association of Journalists in, during this interview, but... I wonder, knowing what you know now and how little of this is going to be transparent uh, on in an ongoing way and the corrosive effect that's going to have on journalism, I wonder what the position of the CAJ should be. I wonder if, if uh, what is actually best for journalism in Canada might not be for this thing to get quashed. Let me tell you one last thing, a uh, fun thing. So when we were in the standoff with them around the confidentiality, our president, Karen Pouliez, who you've had on many times, uh, she suggested that we nominate you instead of Esther. Uh, under the idea that there's no confidentiality agreement you would ever sign, and so it would have the same effect. So we uh, we may come back to you, Jesse. We, we, we may have an ask for you. I love Karen. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts, Zane Schwartz. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me. We're on Twitter at Canada Land. Zane Schwartz, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at Zane Schwartz. And we'll find your reporting at the, at the Logic. TheLogic.co, O as in orange. Our website, CanadaLandShow.com, is where you'll find this week's episode of Commons. This is a fascinating, like, I just took for granted, oh yeah, the government spies on protesters, on environmentalist protesters. Why is that okay? It's a history, it's the whole story of government spying on its own citizens just because they're protesting the energy industry. This episode is produced by our managing editor, Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV, 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do and you would like to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, you can support us voluntarily. The government won't force you to do it when you go to patreon.com slash CanadaLand.
hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.